telling you before, I did listen to the one, your episode about faith and God. And it, episodes like that, I always kind of like, you know, I'm always interested in because I like the kind of subjects that like no one really knows. Like, you know, we can never really like, like at the end of a debate, we'll never actually answer like if God's real or if he isn't. But no. I like, I like the debate though. It's certainly not a debate you have with people very often at the minute. People don't want to talk about God. They'll talk all day long about spirituality and like even you had a woman on or you had someone talking. I didn't listen to that particular one, but I heard you reference it in one of your podcasts talking about chakras or you'll have people talking about meditation or ayahuasca or whatever new age spirituality they have. And people will talk to you about spirituality all day and they'll even reference deities or a God or gods, but in a sort of low resolution version as soon as you start honing in on a particular type of god or specifically the christian god and if you start bringing jesus into the picture conversation's done doors closed they don't want to know anything more about it Mm. and so in the end i have to talk well actually i've had a few people on talking about faith uh one i had a catholic apologist do you know what apologist is no yeah neither did i there are people that defend something so if you're a Catholic apologist, you're someone who defends the Catholic religion. I had one of them, I had Paul on, he was actually, I'm still in contact with Paul. Paul's a great fella, he's, I like him. Um, and then I had another young fella who was angling down towards becoming a priest, and he was only a young fella. Mark, I actually haven't talked to him in ages, and that's a pity. I actually don't bump into him much. Um, but they my two, yeah, they were my two main faith people. Did I have anything else? So in the end, yeah, as a result of not having that many people talk about faith, I ended up talking about it myself. Yeah. Do you believe? Do you believe, sir? Do I believe? Do you believe? I actually, no. I, I, I don't think so, but I don't think it's like a god at the top. No, actually, when I was, remember that hike I was saying I was doing? Yeah. I was like halfway. When you nearly to, lost and got died. Yeah, nearly <laughs> The died. one where you nearly died. The one you nearly. When uh, I did get I'm lost. So and nearly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, nearly, yeah you had Thank it nearly. You. you finished that sentence. But when I was halfway through it, I was thinking, because I was on my own. And I was thinking halfway through, it's like you're walking up this boardwalk mm. and it was obviously very, I don't know, it was fog or was it clouds? I didn't think it was that high up. Technically the same thing. Probably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and I was in the middle of it, it was obviously very foggy. And I started thinking, I couldn't see all around, it was like I was kind of walking up to, you know, heaven or hell, like, you know, <clears> based <throat> on whatever. Yep. And it actually did feel like that for a few minutes. So I kind of took my AirPods out, I was like, fucking hell, this is a bit mad. So maybe that kind of like. That's why that's uh, I did kind of think about because I was a topic I kind of had earmarked to talk about today. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That doesn't really answer the question. That just kind of that is something I just remember well, happening it, yesterday. It does speak to that deeper drive that's in all people towards something higher. And like if you look at all of civilization throughout its entire time frame, every group ever have always created some sort of a spiritual hierarchical structure. <clears throat> you literally you'll actually find derivatives of and it's funny i actually only watched a video on this the other day it, what was the video called uh the redeemed zoomer it's a channel on youtube uh all religions explained in 12 minutes it's actually very good right. let me see if i can synthesize it for you you've got two camps god exists god doesn't exist uh people who don't believe god exists you'd commonly call them atheists but more so when you press them they don't definitively say god doesn't exist they just don't know if he does exist so most atheists are actually agnostic which is that they're not sure and then if you have people that then the other group is people that do believe in a god and then air quotes air god a god within that then like you'd find commonly you'd have groups that attributed spiritual hmm, personas to the sun, the moon, seasons, water, earth, land, earth, land, same thing. But they all, there was all that sort of mm, hierarchy placed within nature itself. And then you have those groups that believe in a natural, supernatural God, a God that exists beyond reality that we live in today. And from that, then you've got like nearly all the rest of religions from uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, and like, look at those three. Like Judaism, Christianity, Islam, the the religions of the book. So they all have the same foundational text, which would be the Old Testament taken from the Bible. So you've got this strange emergence of a style of religion or spirituality throughout every aspect 
of humanity's history. Which means that there's something fundamental in us that continually drives us towards seeking that higher truth. And so you got people say, oh, it's, you know, it's nihilism. It's nothing matters. Uh, we're just chance. We're just here today, gone tomorrow. And like, first of all, you have to be like, the, if you want to be nihilistic about the thing, you say there's no point to any of this. It's like, okay, so all this happened by complete random chance. There's no uh, designer at, behind any of it. They say, yeah, no, 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 there's not. So how did we all come about? And they start tilting towards like evolutionary principles that everything came from nothing somehow. And that you had very simple single cell organisms that eventually became fish that dragged themselves out of the sea and eventually started walk and primates and primates to humans. And you just think, oh, okay, let's just try and flesh that one out. And the best analogy I have for ex examining how that how preposterous that principle really is, is imagine to say that we all came from nothing and that we were all a branch of all a result of evolution would be like saying that a tornado went through a scrapyard and built a jumbo jet perfectly first time. Like it's the odds are just so wild that it couldn't possibly be plausible. And then the, the odds of some random fucker up in the sky creating everything in seven days is also a bit. Well, the thing would be that First of all, if we can recognize beauty in creation and intelligence, then it is plausible to recognize that that has, if we can recognize design in nature, then logically you would assume that there must be a design to nature and to further to be a design, there must be intelligence and for there to be intelligence means there must be something that organized it. And so if you have to imagine something beyond the world we live in, that seems far more plausible when you look at the expanse of the universe and just how much we don't understand about everything seems more plausible to me than to say it is all random and totally chance. And the seven days, actually, I'll come back to that in a few seconds. And I'm sorry if I'm, again, rambly, and I'm not being specific on any one avenue. But the seven-day notion is, is actually very much up for debate, even within theology. Like, there's some Christians that do staunchly believe in a literal seven 24-hour periods. But the problem with that, straight off the book, or straight off the bat, is if you look at the book of Genesis, the sun and moon wasn't made till day three right so how can there be 24 hours if there's no sun or moon never thought about that right and if there is such thing as a supernatural being that's in charge of everything why on earth does he need a 24-hour period to do anything that's awesome that's awesome okay. right and so if you have to try and translate information to humans to think on a very very low capacity like our processing our mental processing on a conscious level, if you were to try and figure out a problem, it's really low. Like it's really like your phone is many hundreds of thousands of times faster than your computing skills. And so if you imagine you've got to try and translate supernatural information to humans who have very low processing capabilities, how best than to do it in a framework that makes sense to them. And if they operate on something called a clock and 24 hour periods and things called days, is it not so much easier just to be like, Look, I did it in seven days. And how did he know that days existed before? Would that not well, just... he wouldn't have, because he didn't need days. Yeah. But the people who wrote the Bible would have operated under a day structure. And the Bible would say that they were inspired by the Spirit of God to write the words that they did, and that that Spirit inspired them to frame it in day structure. Now, there is, if you ever heard, there's, there's holy numbers within the Bible, and seven is considered a holy number. And it reappears repeatedly throughout the Bible. And it also appears in other religions and, and groups and cultures. Um, but there's there's something very peculiar to that organization of seven days, six days work is done and on one day he rested. And we have structured our whole lives, all of us, around a seven day weekly structure. Now, the week actually used to be eight days. It was based off a Roman calendar, but it was changed. Hmm, I don't know how many, how many hundreds of years ago. If, 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 sorry, if not a lot more than that, but that 
that seven day structure is quite unique. But it doesn't mean that God needed seven days to build everything. And so don't get hung up on a literal 24, seven lots of 24 hours in order for him to make stuff. And because further on in the Bible, there'd be references of to God, a thousand years is a day and a thousand years. Sorry, to God, a thousand years is a day and a day, a thousand years. What that pretty much means is time does not matter in heaven. And, And if you live in eternity, if you live in a realm beyond the one we have today, which has no beginning, no end, then time is completely man-made. And time is man-made. We developed man-made. We developed time in order to organize our days. Lunch, breakfast, lunch, afternoon, like the 40-hour work week, train service, bus services, like time was how we decided how and when we were going to make decisions relating to particular things. But in a world where time is not important because there's no beginning, no end, time doesn't exist. Yeah. The one thing I always think about when I'm thinking about this topic is like, if you like, even you go back before, you know, either before the start of it all, before like either evolution or, you know, God in the seven mm. days, what was it? It was just like a, like, obviously I'm not asking you, but like, I just like, what was it? Was it a blank canvas? Like, was it just, was the earth just, did he create the whole fucking earth? Like I, I just, I just struggled to believe that like one day nothing existed mm. and then one day bang just everything's here it's very interesting like if you could understand step by step obviously i i don't know a fucking bit about it but it's like step by step how it got from whatever like even something like fucking dinosaurs to them to them not exist anymore and all these humans here that are going to be gone in what is a couple hundred thousand years Mm. like it just it just seems weird i don't know like it just i don't know There's there's something very like trippy about thinking about the whole thing when you actually get into the actual mindset of like, is there a lad up there, you know, deciding mm-hmm. if I'm going up, up to heaven or down to hell, the whole time? Because when you're taught, when you're in primary school, you kind of, you do, you do believe it. And in fairness, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be completely, you know, like this in disbelief about mm-hmm. it because you know it's a, it is a nice thing to hold on. I think that's why a lot of people are kind of hooked on it is because it is a nice thing to hold on to, and like a lot of the, you know, a lot of the things that are said in the Bible are very, you know, sound nice. You know, mm-hmm. there's it's a. It's a very comforting book in fairness like so there's there's not many things about you know about faith that are like very turn you off to i think it's a very comforting thing to have like you know to think that look i've been a good person so i'm gonna have everlasting life and i'm gonna have a great life up in heaven with whoever the fuck else is up there <laughs> so like i think that's probably why people hold on to it like and they don't want to think that you know if i fucking die tomorrow it's the end like Maybe people are scared of that. There's definitely an aspect of that too. The only issue with that is that if you actually read the Bible, it's not a very comforting book. So the Bible is more or less pain, suffering, death, misery, loss, war for just about the entire thing. And there's literally just a little glimmer of hope that the whole way through all these examples of just terrible, terrible pain is that God is working a purpose through it so that everything will have meaning. The Bible isn't actually that comforting if you don't believe in the concept of the fact that someone came and that that there's a concept of sin and that someone died for us and that that enables us to enter heaven. But I want to read it back because I'll tie it all in. That sort of topic requires more of a depth. But have you ever heard people talk about ayahuasca and their ayahuasca experiences? I've heard it, but I haven't heard about this. I just heard the word. I don't really know what it is, to be honest. So ayahuasca is an organic compound with dimethyltryptamine in it. And then dimethyltryptamine can come in two forms. You have a synthetic man-made one, which is NMDMT, which is lab-made. And then you have a 5-MeO-DMT, which is what you find in the frog's venom in where they collect it. So it's Bufo avariuses. Uh, it's collected in like Peru and Chile and South American countries. And there's toads in, I believe it's Australia and places that produce this. Uh, it's actually a toxin in their glands inside their neck. And when you smoke it, you, according to what people say, you have this most profound psychedelic experience. Mm. And what's interesting is, is when you hear people talk about their psychedelic experiences on, say, psilocybin, like mushrooms or LSD or something like 2CB, something like that. 
you could have two people in the same room, both take a type of acid, and they will both describe different experiences. They'll have totally different trips, totally different emotions, totally different everything. They'll see different stuff. They'll, the room will move differently. There may be some similarities or comparisons and like descriptions, but the specifics will be totally different. But ayahuasca is a very unusual one, or DMT, because no matter where you are in the world, and no matter who you're taking it with, and no matter, yeah, no matter who you're taking it with, People all describe the same realm. They'll all describe the same place, which is bizarre because that shouldn't happen. Because if it is only in your mind, then because me and your minds are very different, we should have different experiences and we should interpret it differently. But ayahuasca doesn't. Ayahuasca has a thread of similarity. I know no matter how many times you take it, you'll re-enter the same location. So if you take that example for a minute, you realize that, okay, there's more to reality than what we understand on the day-to-day there's a deck to people there's like if you want to call it a soul but there's a there's an essence to us and to the natural world that exists beyond our visual 3d tangible touch the couch recognize things universe if there exists a place where people can take frog venom and go to the same location maybe there is more to life than maybe there is more to life than we live in and so if you roll back before the book of genesis before god created everything that we live in what if in that same structure as ayahuasca there's literally a realm beyond the universe that we the observer universe we can see through telescopes that existed independently of where we are and that the supernatural being that was so powerful was able to create the universe that we now live in but that realm has always existed and will always continue to exist outside of the world me and you interact and that it isn't so much that there was nothing so much as there was nothing in something else so let me see if i can get you like an example now like this shed wasn't always here by this house and that house wasn't always here it was one day a field just because the house is built doesn't mean that that field never existed that field technically still exists under the house but down the line, somebody else came and restructured the field so there's now a house here. So you, you'd be asking, well, what existed before the house? There was a field. You just didn't see the field. And so if you say, well, what existed before the earth? A place. You just weren't there. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah. By the way, when I was saying about the Bible being confident, it's a very, it's a very uh, confusing point. Um, I actually didn't even make the fucking point, so probably understand why you said it's not a confident book. But... Do you know the way you said about like it's so there's a lot of hardship in it. Mm. Do you know, there's a lot of I think we got like in primary school we got steered towards some of the nice stories as well. But yeah, there's a there's a good bit of like you know suffering in it. But I think the main takeaway is that like God's always there. Yeah. And it's like no matter how shit things are, it's like he has some sort of a path for you. Mm-hmm. Which I do think about sometimes. And in, fa- in fairness, not that I like have faith in God, but I do like I'd have faith that things are gonna go the right way or mm-hmm. that like I'd have um faith in fate mm-hmm. you know f-a-t-e yeah, yeah. that's yep. that's the fate i think i'd have and that's comforting like um <clears throat> so that book kind of reminds you that like you know maybe you're not because there is sometimes i'm trying to think of an example but you know like when there's things that kind of just happen you know the way like it's like the butterfly effect like yep. you know the way things just kind of happen like fucking how that was yeah maybe it wasn't look maybe maybe that was always meant to happen like yeah you know so that's that's what intrigues me, like, you know, and like maybe this, maybe something you fell on your arse and you said, oh, sure, this isn't fucking real. What the fuck is the point of all this shit? Maybe you're meant to fall on your arse. So. Right. And a lot of things only have the meaning we ascribe to them. Hmm. So a bad situation can be a bad situation or you can go looking for the good. And I've often said that one of the only things you can ever really do with a deep trauma, if you can ever move past it, is use the fact that you have a very unique experience, albeit a terrible experience, but an experience that most people will never have and using that knowledge to do something good for the other people around you or other people who may be going through a similar trauma. And that mindset can transform a permanent inhibition or like how, like the consequences of trauma that just stretch far beyond what we can even imagine for some people like i'm talking like 
years of childhood sexual abuse or like rape or like getting slapped around by your by your father all the time or like being totally unloved or forgotten or your mother taking out all her anger on life on you as a child like that kind of stuff that really stints your development permanently the only way you can ever translate that from the negative that will always hold you back into something that can actually propel you forward is the belief that you're going to make it important and the belief that the belief that what was it there is nothing good nor bad but only thinking that make it so so you've got that perspective shift has transformational potential and that's kind of like the karma principle or things happen for a reason or things that are for you will not pass you that kind of thing is that it's a that shift in perspective to look for the positive means the next thing you know you start finding positives same principle if you're going to look at buying a car you say, oh, I think I might get an Audi. And next thing you're like, oh, you're seeing Audis everywhere you go. You're like, wow, there's that. So many people have Audis all of a sudden. It's like they didn't only have it all of a sudden. They've always had Audis. Your brain just wasn't looking for it. Yeah, and so yeah. when you send that message down to the, like that system, so you're like, I don't know how they call it. There's like two, hmm, there's like a higher and lower consciousness of the brain. There's a lower consciousness that controls all the automatic responses and the running of your body. That's where all the, the big heavy duty processing gets done. And then there's your conscious mind that you control and like that I'm focusing now on having this conversation with you. But that on that low, that undercurrent processing unit that's taking place in the back of your mind is how you find answers to questions. You know, when you've, you've forgotten a word, like the more you try to go look for that word, the more it slips away from your, from remembering it. And then one day you're randomly going down the street and boom, oh, that's the, that's the word. Yeah, yeah. It comes out of you out of nowhere. And it's like, how did that suddenly appear? It's because you sent a message to your, the lower consciousness to go look for that word. And eventually that will return a result like Google, but just really slow. That's the same thing with perspectives. If you send messages down to your lower consciousness, they're like, I want to find positives in this situation, not negatives. The next thing you know, you start observing positives. Like you start observing Audis when you're looking at going buying a new car. You have that individual control of what you're going to look for and what messages you're going to tell your lower consciousness to go search out. Mm. Yeah. Because, like, a lot of people, like, I talk to in, like, say, talk to a lot of people, like, who do, um, you know, like, Reiki healing and mm. like, meditation and, like, just, like, that whole, like, mindfulness kind of crack. But the amount of people I talk to in that fucking kind of side of things this year, Matt, but, like, they all kind of have this thing in common where they. I don't think that's a coincidence either. I don't think that's a coincidence. Maybe, maybe it's not. I, I actually, to be honest, I don't think it is. Um, but one thing that I kind of notice they have in common, and I could be wrong, but they kind of have this. They have this kind of level of calmness to them, where they don't like a lot of people. that get on. Not, not that like they, they're you know they're fucking any less than these lads, mm-hmm. but it's it's like you can kind of sense like they, they could be a bit up and down or like they're very scattered. Yeah. I don't know what it is about them, but I always may, obviously you can never tell from just talk to someone once because you know, I'm very good at everyone's good at everyone's putting up a, a wall Front of facade, to an, yeah, yeah, facade yeah, yeah. to an extent. Everyone is yeah. all of us. Like we're all creating stuff. Like yeah. we're, none of us are a hundred percent honest as much as we'd like oh, to think we are guaranteed. Like, yeah. All of us hide shit, but there was something about them that they just kind of, they just felt it, it was like, they were very serene and it's like they had kind of figured it out, which I always think about that. Like, you know, figuring out, mm-hmm. you know, living like, cause in the end of the day, no one really fucking does know. Every, everyone's kind of like, what comforts me sometimes, like everyone's a bit of a fucking mess. Like everyone's kind oh, of, yeah. everyone's all over the place. 100%, everyone's yeah. kind of a fucking idiot. Just trying to show the world they're not trying to, yeah. you know, trying to pretend they're not like, which kind of, you know reassuring no matter how smart you look you're a fucking idiot yeah yeah fact amen amen yeah yeah so i like to hold on to that because you know the way sometimes you kind of think it's just you you could make you could fuck up something you think jesus christ i'm gonna Mm -hmm. take one but then you know everyone like there's no there's no one in this world like you know you could see someone who's really good at school well maybe they're unfit Mm -hmm. maybe you could see someone who's looks really strong and built maybe they're on the dole like you know there's, there's all these draw like there's so many aspects of your life that you don't have to get right, but this can't like no one has everything to a T. I as if you were to examine anybody's life and you were to look at everything, if you were examine someone you thought was fucking perfect, like this lad is you know, this is who I want to be, like this is 
someone I look up to. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's no one, no one's perfect. Like, and what's a shame is that every word you've said there is completely true, and that most people will be able to re- to acknowledge what you said, agree with you, and in other circumstances, repeat to somebody else the same principles that. Well, when like nobody's perfect and everyone's got their things they're struggling with, and everyone will nod and say, "Yeah, no, that's true," but they don't believe it in a functional way, as in you know when you're looking on social media that what you see is not what the reality is, and everyone is aware that that's a fact, but no one seems to insert that fact into their interpretation of what they're seeing they will still always crave what it is they're seeing despite the fact that they know there's a fakeness to it and that's quite bizarre that you can be totally aware that what you're seeing is the selected parts of a person's life that they're deciding manually to share with you and they're clearly hiding certain aspects of their day-to-day you can be aware of that fact and it still won't change the fact you'll be jealous of other people you see in social media. Yeah. And that's where all the hate comes from on social media. You know when you see like someone who's whatever, like some some I'm trying to think, I can't think of an example, but some sort of a post where maybe it's uh like a woman promoting like a fashion product or some mm. sort of an influencer promoting a fashion product. You won't see a load of hate, but any hate you do see, and I can't just assume everyone's hate hates on a post for the same reason, but let's say it's a girl who's like insecure about their one thing I've noticed is that everybody, you know, people, people project their shite onto you. Like, and I know that's a real thing, John, that's just stuff that everyone says. And, but they don't like, as you said, like insert an effect in your head, anybody, I could just turn around to you and be, try to be real fucking, you know, philosophical. Oh yeah. yeah social media. It's all, it's all fake. You know, it's not the real world. I know everyone has the problems, but like, you, there's no point me saying it and going back and looking at social media and seeing someone looks better than me. So go. maybe, Maybe I'll have to kind of watch what I say because it is like, but that's why all the hate comes from because people are like, they're angry at themselves and they're angry like, oh, fucking, this person's doing better than me and it frustrates them and they kind of feel mm. this need to let out the anger. Um, Because it is, because it isn't, and it's it's hard to remind yourself. Like, you know, you see, even if you see someone had like, if someone feels a bit lonely and you see, oh, there's a big group of lads around have a, had a great night out and I'm fucking stuck here at home mm. and I had a shite even. <laughs> so like they could be gone home, see even they could be dying of the fear and my yeah. fucking up now. So like, it's, but I'd always notice that myself. And, and a lot of people, I was thinking about this yesterday with social media. Why do people feel the need to post everyone on it? Is it actually for themselves? And people, some, one person said it to me, well, sure, it's kind of like your own personal gallery that you can kind of share with your friends. But like, you don't have 500 nah. friends. Like, nah, that's but I, But I can admit it myself. I've put stuff on social media. Like I put it, like when I was doing the hike yesterday, I took a picture of the thing. Mm. Purely, not because I wanted other, like I was thinking in my head, oh, do I want other people to see this, you know, so they can go there. No, oh, I wanted to say I'm fucking. You know, I'm here. I'm here. That's what I'm doing. You know, that's I'm. I'm not. I'm not at home. Like, so it's, I can admit it. I'm honest about. It. Like, I. That's why I fucking did it. Like, but I literally had that moment this morning. So I was on a hike this morning, and I, in the last year or two, I totally stepped back from posting on my personal Instagram. Like, just like I. So I used to be a gym wanker. Like I used to be posting topless photos and doing all the cringe stuff, and. Like there's a don't lie, don't no, I'm not gonna lie. Like there's a part of me that really misses that. Like there's a kick off it. Yeah. But there's a part of me that always had an issue with it. And eventually I said, I can't keep doing this because it's just there's something in me that's not sitting right with it. And I didn't enjoy it. And so I began to like stop posting anything. And I then I started focusing more on the blank slate stuff. And I'd only post stuff that I thought was on some level useful to somebody. But again, that's an overinflated ego that I'm providing something of utility to people. Um, but this morning, so up that hike, beautiful orange colors in the trees at the minute. And like, this is a really beautiful place to be. And so I put up a Snapchat story of it. And I remember being like, cause I hadn't put up a Snapchat, Snapchat story in so long. I'm like, why am I putting this story up? And there's a part of me that wanted to put the timestamp on it. Because I want the people to know that I'm up early. It's not even eight o'clock. I'm at the top of a mountain. Yeah. I'm killing it. And all year in bed. And I'm something different to you. It wasn't that I was posting it because I wanted people to find out where this beautiful place was and to all come to it as well. It was purely because I wanted to make a statement that I'm something. I don't care. I, I can't 
it depends on what you're posting and the description of why you're posting it will vary depending but at the back of it all it's here's me doing something that i want you to see me doing which is really bizarre yeah i don't know but that that's why like you ever see lads on social media like, i'm trying to think of the names just just anybody like you know the way they're like what was your man who said he had three days bro remember he said he he restructured his days three days into one remember well you might know but it was i saw a clip of a lad and he said you think you only have one day well i have three i wake up at four o'clock or i wake up at i go to sleep and he explained this and he said the three eight hour days is like yeah, you do have to sleep at some stage eventually but all these like you know the real like grind kind of lads yeah yeah but everywhere like you know get up at 4 a.m which no, I, I got up at six this morning. Oh, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> I, was, I was at work at seven, so I'm not. I'm, I'm very happy to get up at eight, go to the gym. I'm not fucking this crack getting up at six is all bollocks. You don't, you don't need to get up at six to be fucking successful. Not, not, that, not that I can fucking say. But uh, yeah, all, all that, but like lads kind of, I, I've noticed the amount of hate they get in the comments because like people smell shit off them. They mm. smell that it, there's a bit of fakeness. Like, a bit of fakeness. A bit of fakeness. Dripping. Now, in fairness, they do end up being successful people. So it's kind of hard for the likes of me who's run the podcast out of Shed and Kildare to be, you know, having a lash at a lad who probably does drive a fucking nice car. But it's... Well, well, here's the thing. The thing. What makes most people successful is a good degree of degree of degree of openness but also a good level of industriousness that worth ethic that go after it and part and parcel of that worth work ethic is like social media takes a lot of time and effort and emotional energy and if you are someone who goes after it and you you direct that energy towards social media you will produce a lot of content and you will be busy on social media and the byproduct of your personality anyway is that whatever you focus that attention on will usually reap some reward for you. So it's hard to say whether people, it's, I wouldn't say, what am I trying to say? I wouldn't say it's necessarily that those go-getters are showing you how to become successful. It's more that they have personalities that are in line with becoming successful anyway. And they just happen to like sharing it on social media. But I want, there's another bit I want to ask add to that aspect i want to add to that is that i'll recognize the days that i want to post something and it's usually when i'm feeling really good and that rush of dopamine gives you that little bit of confidence like that cocaine confidence where you just got a little bit of edge to you so say you're, you you catch yourself in the mirror say if jim is jim is your thing you're like, yeah i look good today i look so good i'm going to share it with other people because i know i look that good and it's a semi-artificial drive to post but the fact is it's a snapshot of a day where emotions fluctuate up and down throughout the entire day and you're at a sort of a peak dopamine point when you're going to post and the problem is, is then is that when you get that positive reinforcement loop when you start looking at the likes coming in and recognition and you start imagining all these people now have seen your post and they think you must be look you're, you're so ripped you're so this you're so that or whatever it is whatever content it is you're putting out there you imagine in your head positive spins of, of people's perspective of looking at it and that reinforced the dopamine loop and just like any addict for anything gambling drugs sex whatever it is you go back to social media to try and get a little bit more of that and those hard work ethic boys tend to be addicts and they tend to be people that have to constantly buy new clothes constantly have nice cars constantly out having dinners and also sharing every step of that process like when you start going down a little bit deeper like most of those cars are on loan or they're on finance and like the dinners is like their champagne bottle that they're showing coming to the dinner table is their last hundred euro that's in their current account they're getting paid the next day but they're actually technically broke and like the posting to social media and sharing look how hard i'm working or look at the grind is all part of an like a a dopamine driven personality that because it's it's good and it's bad because it does in fairness it doesn't whether it's whether it's all real or whether it's all fake it does inspire people to a point where they look yeah. at it, where they look at it and think fucking hell that's class but obviously then it could set like an unrealistic thing 
Whereas like, as you said, like, you know, you might know in that fucking car, like that could be just rented off your cousin for a day, like just so you could take a few pictures, like you're off the fucking garage or, or whoever. Your flipping fathers or your father bought it for you. Yeah. Daddy's yeah. money, like Daddy's there's money. a huge amount of daddy's money and loans goes on behind people that are influencers. I've seen that a lot with lads who went traveling. Um and Irish lads as well. Like a lot of do you know the way you see lads who go off for a year, like after mm. the leaving, sir? And mm. just some lads' fairness, they do say, well, mm. but I kind of saw a few lads, I was like, you don't have that much fucking money. You were mm. traveling for a year straight. If I worked till I was fucking 90, I'd barely be able to, you know, like, and just to get to have money at 19 years of age, I was thinking, like, I'd feel a level, I, what do you think about that? I, I'd feel like a level of guilt. Like, fairness, now I can't say much because, fairness, the car I have out there, the outlet paper, some of it, but I do intend to get it back in some way mm. do you know I, like I don't but you're also at a natural stage where you're you're just getting on your feet and you're acquiring the potential to have future gains financially like you're in college you're working on the weekends you're doing whatever you can to generate a bit of revenue but you're at that that stage where you're only getting the gears going but i can actually talk to that travel situation because i actually did seven months abroad on a honeymoon and i didn't sh- i didn't record or share any of it for two reasons Number one, I didn't want to, three reasons actually now that we're having this conversation. I didn't want to play into the system that makes other people envious of other stuff. Two, I didn't want people to question, was I doing these activities because I want to do these activities or because I wanted to show off that I'm doing these activities? Mm. Like people who give to homeless people, but they do it all on camera. I hate those people. Like, why why are you helping that homeless person on camera? <laughs> like, help them in the private with no cameras and don't say anything about it. Don't boast that you're helping people. That, that that drives me up the wall. And three, I didn't post because there is also an element to the travel, the, tri- the travel finances, which did come from a credit union. So I got married and went traveling for seven months at the same time. Worked seven days a week for just under one year. And that seven days a week went to covering all the costs of the wedding and a portion of the travel, sorry, I'm spitting on your mic, and a portion of the travel. But me and my wife, we both went and took 15K each out of the credit union, rationed that out as best we could, and that budget did not last. Traveling is ferociously expensive. I don't care what country you go to, it is cruelly expensive. And we had an amazing time, and we don't regret it for a second, but now we're breaking our balls. Not not our lives aren't totally devoid of pleasure but we have to pay back those loans and we took out those loans knowing we're going to have to pay them back and we're at a stage in our life where we're young enough for 26 like where we both knew we could pay off those loans and still be able to look at getting a house together and that we were both prepared to accept that burden of responsibility for a couple of years after coming back for the travel where those loans have to be repaid but there is that disingenuous element to it is that we're not super wealthy people capable of doing seven months traveling we did get those loans out of credit unions and we do understand the burden of responsibility that comes with repaying loans too. Yeah. Because you're obviously you're paying how much more are you paying back than you borrow? What did you borrow again, sir? So I, we both took fifteen K each. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got it four point nine percent on a credit sale last December. Right. And she I think she had a student loan out already, which I think was around the kind of five percent mark give or take and as she literally just got that topped up so the loans were incredibly cheap as loans go which was which was kind of just again it's like it was meant to be that when we were looking for for loans there was a loan sale like how wonderful is that and not only that but the loan sale was anything up to fifteen thousand, which is what we wanted like so there you go and so ultimately we're going to pay back i think what's that five percent per year and it's over five years so we'll pay back probably about four grand more three or four grand more am i doing that maths right i'm really bad with numbers i'm even worse so that's okay so i think it's about four grand more yeah or two and a half or three thousand something like that um wait but did you not say you you were working seven days a week that went on the wedding oh that was the yeah yeah so like you're, yeah, only, we, you're only a young fucker getting married I'm as well. Like, young, tell you, nobody. you started saying you were married. I said, Jesus, unless you're after getting a serious amount of Botox, you don't look like you're 40. I'm married. I was kid. thinking, so how the wedding was fucking. 13K, all in. 
right. Not including flights. So we did it pretty well. We went to a place called Rhodes. It's an island in between Greece and Turkey. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. We had 20 from each side, so about 40 guests in total. And when you're looking at weddings here in Ireland, it's almost a starting price of 10K if you want to go near any hotel. And it's a flipping hotel wedding. And I'm like, no disrespect on hotel weddings, but we just didn't want one of those. And then on top of that, you have it in Ireland. You own your... Everyone needs to come, and anyone you've ever shook hands with thinks they own a seat at the table, and it's a big political thing. And like, particularly if you've got kind of a messy family tree further up the ranks, and it's like, oh, can this person sit with this person? Because this person tolerate this person for an hour, and like, you spend most of your wedding day stressing about other things other than the fact you're getting married, which is a wonderful thing. Yeah, and yeah. marriage is a wonderful thing. I got a whole lot. I got a train of thoughts on marriage too. Mm-hmm. I'll let you know, but we. We decided we, I always wanted a Mediterranean wedding. And outside of that, I really didn't care. And so we said, we'll do a small wedding abroad. And we got a small wedding in the most beautiful place for 13,000. And we were like, absolutely. Absolutely. We didn't regret that for a split second. What did the 13K go on? Like mostly, like does this? It went on. Let me give you the breakdown. So I think the wedding. And so I think the food. Okay, let me think. Hmm. Oh, 13 was including the flights. So we got... So this the, is for all 40 people, I'm No, we didn't pay for other people's flights. Oh, you didn't so what we said was there was no presence. The presence was the physical presence of you coming to the wedding. Now, we did put in a little caveat that if you did feel compelled to give a little yeah. bit of presence, bit of money. we're money, 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 because we were going traveling. We were like, anything that would come, any presence you want to give, cash would be wonderful and people were extraordinary generous and they, they everyone gave a bit and that was extraordinarily useful when it came to the traveling part of it um but for thirteen thousand, we got the food the venue the hotel for ourselves did we pay for any of our families hotels flip me like my wife would know all this kind of nitty-gritty details food the venue uh where the wedding was held, like all the chairs and the flowers and the cake and all that crack. Uh, we had a saxophone player. Oh, class. Uh, that was class. That, that does sound that fucking was class. Oh, was, that was... Mm. Um, what else did we get? That seems... Oh, we had a boat. We had like a boat thing. There was like an hour on the boat in between the service and the food. Champagne reception on the boat. Like all this kind of... All the nice fancy stuff. So like it was actually very good value. You wouldn't do the same in Ireland for twenty grand, do you know. Well then, yeah, that's thirteen grand. That yeah, is not bad to lose. That and does... it's a wedding. Like ideally, you should only be getting married once. And if you're going to get married once, make it a good day. Smash out the fuck. Absolutely. But that does sound no Mediterranean wedding. I was sounds highly recommend. It was it was phenomenal. Yeah. And the ring, sorry. The ring is obviously then... Oh, yeah, how much are the ring? Rings are a little bit pricey, sir. Um, So, her ring was a couple of... Her engagement was... Oh, I don't, I don't want to say... See, I forgot there's a fucking engagement ring and the wedding ring. And the wedding ring. Christ, yeah. But I then returned the favour because I wanted a big, big, thick old gold well, that's ring. The, like. That's the wedding ring. That's the wedding ring there, I sir. I just assumed you were being flashy with the ring. I didn't oh, even no, ask that's you. That's the wedding ring. It's kind of a unique one. It's got, got yeah, it is. It doesn't, it doesn't look like a wedding ring. Um, so that oh, cost a couple of grand. And with her rings, together would have cost a couple of grand. And so like people would say, oh, you're spending money you didn't have. It's like, well, we actually did because we worked ferociously hard to get the money that we do have. And we wanted to spend it on things that we thought were important. And if you're going to have this partner and these rings, hopefully the rest of your life, flip and splash. Like splash enjoy it like these are the small things in life that really flip and matter and if you're going to go ham on spending money on jewelry make the wedding and the engagement ring class yeah exactly. was, like people do weddings on a shoestring budget and i seriously respect that um i think that's probably what i would end up doing not a shoestring i'd say probably somewhat in the middle of a shoestring budget and probably what you did mm. not that you like splashed out madly like either like you probably no. just you know you spent a maybe an average amount mm. was there any alcohol actually involved in that price there was bar? three drinks per person at the dinner that's that's not bad actually no yeah that's not bad either there's three drinks per person and pitchers of wine on the tables 
yeah, I'd accept that. That'd be fucking more than enough. Yeah, yeah, and it was like there was bits of there was wine left over and some of them like and uh, it was a barbecue Greek barbecue meats dinner. Oh, lad, Wait, say it again. What was it? Greek barbecue meats. Oh, so the starters were all like Greek foods, Greek salads, and and uh, what you call it, hummus and all that kind of crack. And then the main was just platters of four types of meat. So there was this Greek sausage, which was unbelievable. There was lamb. Mm, so they were kind of like, was it like steak kind of things? And there was one other chicken dish. There was chicken. There was Greek chicken on it as well. And then just your salads and your, your accompaniments. So it was a very unorthodox wedding meal. And it was phenomenal. Delicious. Greek sausage, yeah. Oh, it was flippant delicious. <laughs> what was it? Was on your wedding day? Was it like very kind of like pinch me? Like you didn't really not that you, yeah, um, not that you don't think it's gonna happen, but it's like it must be a bit mad. Like you know, you kind of because I'd always still picture myself as being like you know fifteen or sixteen. Like if I was to get married, one I day. still feel like I'm fifteen or sixteen. Yeah, you know that kind of way. I, yeah, like yeah. you know, you feel you st- you still feel like a certain age, mm-hmm. and you're standing up at the altar. Someone standing across from you, like mm. the fuck, where the fuck am I? Like what what, what am I after taking? Like. I went through most of those stomach qualms in probably the year or two, before, probably the year before I asked the question and the year after I asked the question. So the year before was him and Hon. I was with her four or five years or something before I asked. Right. And yeah, that was when I was probably like, I'm actually doing this. And then after I asked the question. I was still dealing with a lot of doubt and insecurity and questioning myself. And that really rocked me because I was like, what if you're actually an idiot and you actually aren't making the right decision and you haven't thought this through at all? And of course, you can't talk to your partner about this because it's far too close to close <laughs> to comfort. So you end up bottling all these emotions, which make them worse. And you're just going over and over and over and over in your mind about like, it's just this feeling of panic that you can't get rid of and we actually were going to, i convinced her to go to couples therapy that i framed in a uh i think it'd be wise to get marriage counseling before we get married so that any pitfalls that come our way could might be forewarned forewarned what's it foretold is forewarned or whatever that yeah. phrase is and she was like yeah okay i think that's a good idea but internally i'm like if i have to like question if i'm to get married to her i want to do it in a situation where there's a trained professional to help me along this process and in the end i never got that deep in any of our therapy sessions but what happened was so all the way up to the wedding day i it was a leap of faith it was like i don't actually know what i'm doing here but something in me tells me that this is the right decision and what happened was after the wedding in the weeks and months after the wedding i'm over a year married now the most unexpected and profound sense of peace and acceptance and pride in my decision began to seep in that was totally unexpected and i can tell you now that i do not regret my decision for a split flipping second and for anyone listening if you have a partner a quality partner that you actually work well together and you don't none of this love or this spark or this like rubbish that you've fed in on social media and movies and christmas cards and bollocks none of that none of that if you have someone who you who tolerates you and you can tolerate them and you can sort your problems out without abusing or physically like heaven forbid you ever get physical but without (laughs) verbally abusing them every time you're drinking or every time you have a disagreement or slamming doors and walking out if you can if you have someone that you actually get along with put a ring on them if you can sort conflict with somebody peacefully, put a ring on them. Because what marriage is, marriage is this bizarre decision that I'm picking this other human being to spend the rest of my life with. The first and foremost thing you need to be is friends. You actually need to get, enjoy their company to a degree. Obviously, everyone gets sick of each other's company eventually, and you need time for that. Right, you need space, you need your own life, even after you get married. Yeah, all that. But if, if, uh, sorry, yeah, you, the ma- marriage is literally a lifelong partnership. And the most important thing as a partnership is how you resolve conflict. And if you can resolve conflict peacefully and still share a bed afterwards, or maybe you need a night in the couch just to cool down, whatever, but if you can get back into that bed and still love that person, 
man, that's it. Like that, that's as, that's as, as crucial as it gets to deciding on a marriage partner. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, cause I think, I don't know. Is there like a certain part of time? Like, but a lot, I think you were kind of scoffing at like the spark thing. Yeah. I, I no time. I think, that. I think, you know, it in your, whether that's a spark or not, I think, I think you just kind of know, um, Obviously, you know, you're the man to speak about this. I'm, you're the one with the ring on your finger, so you're the man to talk about. <laughs> Help me! <laughs> <laughs> did you, did it feel any different? Like, I know people say the same shit when they have kids. It's like, oh, yeah, different life altogether. It's like, oh, things are so much different. I feel, I feel like a changed man or whatever, like, which I don't, I don't know. I obviously don't know you. But um, did it feel a whole lot different? Like when, obviously said you got like this kind of, overwhelming like peace and you mm-hmm. know that you made the right decision you weren't mm-hmm. shitting yourself that night with the ring on your finger like oh it was, it was a little bit uh, it was in the weeks and months afterwards yeah it, it naturally it naturally seeped in um, do you think much changed though i think i think people I, I can tell you what changed yeah there's a solidity that enters the relationship that this is my person now and you've made a promise before god and legally before the government that you are bound to to each other in sickness and in health and as much as that gets thrown around in pop culture as like a figure of speech as a phrase it 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 does it doesn't it do, there's no difference that you can put a finger on but i can say that the, the dynamic between the two of you does change but here's a better preface this we never lived together before we got married did you know no Right. So we did things a little bit differently to the way most people do it these days. So if you're already living together and you're spending, you've, you've, you've kind of entered that married life without making the promise. And so maybe then your life doesn't change much after you get married. And then that's a little bit, that's a little bit sad. Like, cause traditionally marriage was the precipice from which then you would live together and your, your life together would start from that point. And actually going back to the Bible for a minute in the Bible, it was, an order from God that men were not to go to war for a year after they got married and they were to spend the year with their wife shagging, having a great time. But the focus was to be on the relationship and building that, that connection between the two, because that's ultimately what sex is for is to build that your connection between people. And when you have casual sex, what you're doing is you're building micro connections with way too many people. And every time those micro connections get severed, it's very painful. And eventually it makes it very difficult to create strong micro connections with new people. And micro connections are eventually the bridge that builds the bond that holds people together. But sex is, sex is the, 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 the foundation to pair bonding. But, by not living together, we kept something special to look forward to. And then we went straight from the, from the marriage to get, we went straight from the, from the wedding to travel. So it was quite a surreal, quite a movie like experience. And then we came back and we ended up moving back in with my parents. Um, because I had to, I had to return to training and she, we had given, she, we had given up our jobs before we left, etc. all this. Da, 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 da. And thank God we had a family. We, we had a, uh, a place we could go back to in the immediate weeks and months when we came back from traveling because you're a flat broke after traveling. But where am I, where, where am I going with this? The, the difference that kicked in was Israel and it was unexpected. Um, I have a question for you. Do you think I only thought about this a few days ago? Um, do you think there's like a subtle, insecurity when people want to get married very subtle that it's like we're oh we're only going out now they could leave me mm. but if we're married yes not that it's like you know putting a gun to her head but it's like a bit more it's like it goes like you know going out you're still kind of free not, obviously i don't mean free like right mm. so i just mean like you're still a bit free yes get married you've ringing your finger yeah. gets a bit real yeah let's say then you have kids then you're locked in and i feel i don't know like you're locked in from the marriage. Yeah. You are locked in. Yeah, yeah. Legally. And if you believe... But then the kids you, add another thing to the kids where you're really do. locked yeah, in. Because yeah. if, you, if you divorce, say, when you're married, just yeah. with no kids, yeah. still, it's obviously still a bit fucking sticky. Yeah. But there's kids involved then. It's like there's this extra pressure to stay together. Yeah. And I feel like there's kind of that security. Maybe not with everyone. But when the rings go on the fingers, it's like, right, 
she agreed to this. Mm-hmm. I've got her this far. Yeah. Maybe she does actually like me. Yeah, yeah. So that's was there any of that with you? Or yes, you, correct. Yeah, yeah. Was it? Yeah, that's that security that comes into it, and people forget nowadays. Marriage is not for the people. Marriage is for the kids. So marriage is for a family, is for a family foundation. And we've, we've come to look at marriage as it's about my happiness. And if this person doesn't provide all the happiness for me, well, then you should leave that person because they're not right for you. And that's all bollocks. Marriage was only ever about the kids in the first place. And it was the reason it got tied into the legal rigmarole was that it was the government needed someone responsible for tiny human babies. And it became, it made perfect logical sense that the family takes care of the human babies. And how can you keep the family together? Well, you sign them into a contract. You make a business contract that ties them together. And it's not that there's anything significant about the business contract, even though it's like, when you look at it like that, it's terribly unromantic, but it's a, it's a literal barrier to prevent you from dipping out when the going gets tough. Like you are legally tied to this person. You are obligated to provide for this person. And it's like, it's like 51% of marriages now end in divorce. It's, it's, it's is it? Oh, yeah. 51% of, yeah, yeah, so well, where's that stuff from? Is that That's like, a US stat, but Ireland, yeah. I think is at 48%. Like we're literally just behind. Like 40% yeah, yeah. of all marriages. Yeah, yeah, end in divorce. It's incredible. It's a, it's, it's a terribly, hell. man, it's a fifth. If you fit a coin, you said there's a 50, 50 chance that this is going to ruin you in 20 years. Someone is going to take half your wealth and potentially forever, the government is going to put an attachment on your wages for potentially the rest of your days, where they're going to take a portion of your wages for this person who's going to pick off with, with the kids. You'd be like, I'm not going near that because that is, it is it's a crazy statistic. Jeez, I have to fucking look at that. Oh, look it up. And on Christ top of that, almighty. the average age for marriage now is 37 in Ireland. In 1990, it was 26. What we got married there? at 25. I'm 26 no, now. That is young, isn't it? It is young. Because especially the fact, you know, the way the housing market is going, it's not easy I don't know what your job is, but unless you have a very fucking good job, tough, like you're under pressure getting a house. Like, oh, damn no right. One, no one's made of money. Like, no, no, it's flipping that, adds, yeah, that yeah. adds extra pressure. Yep. Um, and marriage is extremely important for like, sorry, marriage is an extremely serious decision and you have to think of it as an, as an extremely serious decision. Men without a family, they become, like in their 20s it's all like oh yeah shagging birds yeah doing all your thing cool but unfortunately that will run out its charm and a man without a family is actually relatively listless and he's got very little purpose and a man needs purpose a man needs something that forces him to get out of bed in the morning and to take his life seriously because if a fella has nothing look how fat look if you look at a bachelor's apartment like once he sort of hits 30 goes to kip because there's no reason to keep it in good nick yeah that would happen to his life. A man, a single man's life, and I'm not dumping on single men. There, there's some very sad situations where people end up lonely forever. This is an this is an acknowledgement of like how difficult of a life that is for people to live. But a man by himself is a shell. And a woman by herself, like there's all this positive age movement looking now at like women who have no kids in their 40s talking about how great their lives are when listen to what they're saying and their their life is built around nothing like binge watching tv shows and like going for 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 hair and makeup salons and like oh, i have no kids wrecking my head i have no kids jumping on me in the mornings i you know i can spend all day in bed and it's wonderful really you're gonna glamorize spending all day in bed is a good thing you have so little purpose that the whole day could go by and you do nothing and you're going to glamorize that and post it on tiktok encouraging other young girls to consider single singlenessnessnessnessnessnessnessness and you're again like social media you're catching these people at a snapshot in a mood where if they're posting a video like that they may feel very positive about the situation they're in but you come back to them an hour later a day later a week later 10 years later and let's just see how let's see what fruits that tree has brought forth. Yeah. And so getting married is very, is very important for more than we care to realize. And who you pick is absolutely flipping crucial. And if you make it on wishy washy, wacky decisions like sparks, which spark is literally just the drive that forces people to reproduce. It's nothing. It's this, it's a commercialized idea that you should feel something about your, you your true like, love. Do you not think it's a gut feeling? Is that, no, is that I like... think it's a feeling from your balls. I think it's you wanting to shag. Like I, 
Like, and then they say, oh, the, the spark's just not there anymore. How many times have you had sex? Thousand times maybe? And now you're saying the spark isn't there anymore? Because your body's like, oh yeah, we did the thing that we were supposed to do. And like, if you rely on that to be the metric for whether you should stay with someone, you're done. You're going to spend your whole life dropping, jumping between different people, searching for some ridiculous emotion that is totally impractical to pick on a lifelong partner. Yeah, when you talk about the like people who are single for their whole life, one thing that attracts people to that if they haven't so like there's people and it kind of makes it it makes me a bit upset thinking about it sometimes because like there is people who like maybe might have had this idea that like they were going to find someone at some age mm-hmm. whatever and it's just gonna be this perfect like love story like, mm-hmm. um a bit like how probably shrek thought his life was gonna or sorry he thought it was the opposite shrek yeah. thought he was gonna be alone forever yeah. but you know he found fiona and <laughs> everything went right happily ever after happily ever after but that's so sorry that story is what a lot of people you know because you obviously you grew up with all the disney movies and mm-hmm. this is love and this is and it's very you know it's nice it's mm-hmm. a nice them movies are comforting like but when that doesn't happen then they're kind of forced to just kind of accept that they're going to be on their own and that loneliness thing obviously kicks in and even as you say with the women as well you know it kicks in at some stage it might glamorize at some stage but i think what one thing that does jump out as a big pro for people who don't get married is the freedom of it like mm-hmm. in fairness you might say that like it's great to have kids i'm sure it's very like it's fucking class like to have kids and to you know to it's just i just just great like just, i can't explain why obviously because i don't have kids but there's obviously a downside to it as well you know you can't really just up and leave like right now obviously I, if i wanted to fucking go to thailand for a mm-hmm. month disappear mm-hmm. i could do it yep no i don't want the money to do it but if i wanted it, i could do it yep but then I have kids and you can't really do it. So that's, Correct. there's two sides to it. Like there's, you get a life partner, you get that security, mm-hmm. but you also get this responsibility. responsibility. So but it's that responsibility that keeps you alive. What and do you what, mean? What is freedom? Like unlimited freedom is. It's unlimited options, I suppose, because they could still get married. This, these people who say like are single, they could still get married, but obviously at the moment they're not they have the freedom to up and leave if they want to. But the person who's married, unless they divorce and leave the kids with the mother, they can't do that. So that's the one maybe pro you could see. It's only nice on paper, the concept of having unlimited options. Mm. Unlimited options makes you miserable. Do you know like what happens if you've got, what's the, it's a something fallacy, um, multiple choice fallacy, something along them lines. Yeah. The more options you have for one product makes you less satisfied with the thing that you choose. So if you can watch any TV, if you can binge watch any box show because you've got unlimited freedom, you're less satisfied. And this is the problem we're having with Netflix and YouTube at the minute. There's so much content. The content you start watching, you're half in at half not, half wondering if there's anything better because that concept of is there something better constantly is nagging away in the back of your head. So unlimited freedom isn't actually... Unlimited, unlimited, unlimited freedom is its own prison that you don't realize until you're in the middle of it. But if your life is bounded and your life is structured around something like having kids and you got to get up and you got to feed and you got to wash and get into school, and yeah, you can't go and do whatever you want. But what you have that someone who has unlimited freedom has is you have focus and purpose and and a reason. And then when you sit down in the evening and the kids are gone to bed to watch the show you want to watch, that show feels so much better as a result of the fact that you've spent your whole day not being able to watch the show. And there's a, I can think there's a better, oh, flipping. There's a, I'm trying to think there's a little turn of phrase relating to freedom that I can't remember now, but it's not going to come back to me. No. It's not going to come back to me, but yeah, the, the, the singlenessness and the, particularly the childlessness is only, only looks good on paper, but rarely fleshes out to a high quality of life in reality. Now I don't have kids, so I'm talking through my whole, I talk to, I talk through my whole on a lot of things. Same as me. Same so, and like half of most of what everyone's doing all the time is talking through the whole. Yeah. Um, but just from what I've, just from what I've seen. I just, I, I, I don't see the single forever life 
as something that should be encouraged to young people. Yeah, I don't, it's hard to know. Like, a lot of people, I'm sure, are genuinely happy with it. And I'm sure it's like the opposite. There's a lot of people who are miserable in marriage. Correct. So there's people, I think any, both styles can work. Like, you know, you can be single and happy and you can be married and happy. Correct. But I would prefer the married and happy, to be honest, all but fucking day. It all comes back then again, though, to that framer perspective, that how you look at the situation and how you decide you're going to interpret it will de- determine how it feels to you. So if you want to look at the kids and the wife as a burden and responsibility and that they stop you doing all the fun things you think you would do, then they're going to be a burden and responsibility and they're going to stop you from doing all the things, fun things you think you want to do. But we've, 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 for all human history, we've had families, we've had kids. There's got to be something to that. Even if you've got no purpose. And sorry, that's what you're going with this. If you're miserable, whether you're single or whether you're in a relationship, it's more than likely, and come back to perspective again, you need to sort of look at, like, how have you done your life to that point that you feel that miserable? What are the quality of your decisions? Like, that call back to, to just personal responsibility really matters. And that's why the things you do is important. And the decisions you make are really important. 